Episode 7, Matt Granados, Life Pulse, Inc. Yeah, and the book is full of my mistakes. I mean, that's where yeah, we learn from experience, we teach from experience. So there's a lot in there. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. We're joined today by Matt Granados. He is a co-founder and president of Life Pulse Inc. It's a consulting, coaching and speaking organization. And he's the author of a book uh, recently available. Um, you can order it now. It's uh, called Motivate the Unmotivated, The Proven System for Sustainable Motivation. So Matt, how are you? Doing well, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I can't wait to share my favorite uh, mistake. <laughs> well, so let's, um, I'm glad you're enthusiastic about that. Let's, let's get right into that. I mean, what, what is your favorite mistake? Oh, the, the, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I have I had a lot to choose from as I was thinking of what's the one to share. But um, the overall probably favorite mistake is, is not because of what happened while I went through it, right? It's what happened because I went through it, um, which I'm sure is, is something a lot of your guests are talking about. But my favorite mistake is what I call my heartbeat. Um, and I actually talk about it in, in the second chapter of the book uh, when I talk about the hardest person I've ever had to motivate, which was myself. And to give you kind of a quick rundown of what happened was in a 30-day period, um, I had a massive embezzlement issue in one of my businesses. Um, Health-wise, I was told by the doctor I probably wouldn't make it past 40 years old. Um, had no time to really grow myself. But fortunately, I was kind of leading up to, at the end of this 30-day period, a trip to Greece with my fiance. So I was really excited to kind of refocus and get myself in order. And the day before we left for Greece, she gave me the ring back and said, I'm done. So needless to say, uh, I call it my heartbeat because our company, Life Pulse, is all about bringing intentionality back to life. And I relate life to an EKG, right? And you know this from being in the medical, you know, working in the healthcare fields. Um, the flat line, we think of it as like, well, that shows death. And it actually doesn't show death. It shows the absence of life when you see a flat line on an EKG. Our lives look a lot like an EKG if you were to map out all the ups and downs that we go through. And this was a low point. It was a heartbeat. It was the lowest part uh, of it. But the goal of it is to get ready to come back up. So I'm excited to share about what we learned from this mistake, because that's what sparked the entire company, Life Pulse, which now travels all over the world, consulting companies from Google to Twitter to the you know, United States Air Force, all the way down to individuals, stay-at-home moms, one-on-one coaching. We do it all, which is somewhat of a headache as well. Maybe that's my next future biggest mistake. Um, but we enjoy doing what we do, uh, and that would be the biggest mistake I've made. Uh, there's many more that I've made, and I always love, again, the results we get from learning from these mistakes. Yeah, so you know, thinking back to that moment in time, was, was I mean, can, tell me more about like, what was the mistake? There were some bad things that happened there. Yeah, was, so the mistake was... responded to it, or, or go ahead? The mistake was I was the last to know because I wasn't paying attention. And I think a lot of times we live our life um, focused in the future or sometimes in the present 
but rarely in a reflective way and much more of a reactive way. And one of the things after I learned this experience was I was the last to know, right? I was the last to find out my employees were stealing. Everyone else in the company knew besides me. Um, I was the last to find out about my health, right? The doctor could have called it. Anyone who saw my lifestyle could have called it, but I didn't see it because look, I was just grinding away. That's what I do. I grind, right? That's a very hot word these days on social media, which drives me nuts because if you're grinding away, by the time you get down to the, the grinding, you have nothing to share. You're grinding yourself away. And that's what I did. And then from a relational perspective, I go into it in a lot of detail in the book because for four years of this relationship, we never argued. And for me, that's a good thing. But in reality, if there's no argument or no disagreement in a relationship, one of two things is happening. Either one, the in, someone doesn't care, or two, somebody's steamrolling. And ours was a little bit of both. I was steamrolling. She was kind of out of it mentally, and therefore the relationship didn't work. So the, the mistake I made was I wasn't taking a personal inventory on a regular basis. Um, we call that our pulse check. So every week now, uh, what we do, and this is in our kind of our nine-part planning system. Uh, for those who are watching the video, you see it sitting over my shoulder right here, but um, we see, okay, how are we doing scale of one to 10 last week in the four, uh, we call them the four vital signs of fulfillment. So that's internal, physical, relational, and professional. And I never took a step back to go, all right, how are we doing? I assumed we were doing good. In the moment, I was reacting to what I needed to react to. And I was thinking about the future. It's always going to get better. But I was never taking the time to go, hey, did we do anything to like enjoy each other? Like even when I talk with my my current wife about my past relationship, she's like, "What did you guys do that you guys like to do together?" And I I can't even give her an answer. I mean, that's how disconnected I was with that whole thing. Um, looking back, if I was to check my inventory on a regular basis, I probably would have caught this before it got to the multiple six figure level that it got to for this embezzlement. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to check my vital signs, my physical vital signs, literally on a weekly or monthly basis, or was checking my weight all of that good stuff, I probably would have seen what was happening in my body a little bit faster. So now every week we do a vital a vital check and then that way I can readjust this current week based on what happened last week. So if I'm speaking or traveling and I'm speaking multiple times in a week, I'm not going to be the best in my relational life because I'm traveling. So when I come home, my wife knows we're going on a pretty good date night because we have to reset that, that, that part of our life. And that's where, that's what I learned from that mistake. So to answer your question a little bit faster, what did I do wrong? I didn't check myself. Mm-hmm. I just kind of went with it. I didn't really analyze like we, you should anything that matters to you. Um, I just assumed it was going the way it should be going because it was moving versus actually checking and make sure it was moving well. Well, and, and, and thank you for, you know, you know, talking through that because you know, one of the, the main themes here is, you know, learning from uh, mistakes and, and adapting. Um, and it sounds like uh, that, that confluence of events, both professional and pro- uh, personal, um, sparked you to, to, to reflect and think about some things differently. So um, is the book and some of the work that you do now a culmination of, of that reflection and those adjustments yes. that you made. So for- basically when I hit, when I hit that rock bottom was I, I needed to find a way out. I had this multi-million dollar business. I was probably 24 at the time. So I'm this young kid with this really successful business on the outside. So I have this image I need to live up. Do I have employees that are expecting a paycheck? So now I need to live up to that. 
I have this fiance right now that I have to live up to, but internally I was an absolute train wreck and I couldn't think much further than a week. And something kind of just came over in my head was like, just make it to next week. Like give yourself a small goal. Don't, don't think further out than next week, like get to Sunday and then we'll reset. So I started doing that. And, but I was like, all right, well, what do I do during the week? How do I get my head on straight? And I started asking myself these nine questions um, to get my head on properly so I can address what needs to be addressed and actually do what needs to get done while living the life I want to live. When I met Maria, my wife, she came to me and said, hey, you know what? I knew marrying you was going to be hard. I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. Like, you're insane. Like, you have new ideas. And how do you manage all this? I was like, oh, it's easy. I asked myself these nine questions. And I showed her what was, at that point, like a composition book. And she's like, well, this is really interesting. Can I do it? And can we do it together? And still to this day, outside of her saying, yes, she's going to marry me, it's the sexiest thing she's ever said to me, right? Because I'm a nerd about this stuff. She wanted to use my system and we started using it together. And I was amazed not only how disconnected I was with myself, but how disconnected I was with everyone else around me. I thought I knew what she wanted, but I had no clue. So it's, mm-hmm. it's all of these things of sitting back and getting ourselves out of our own blinders to go, wait a minute, maybe our views not the only view, right? Our perception is not necessarily reality. So that was a big, the big eye opener that came of this whole thing. So these nine questions are what I asked myself to focus, which led to this style of, of planning that we teach that we call reverse planning, where we schedule what we want to do, then we list what we need to do. But then the key is we only do what is important. And that's what allows us and me, most importantly, not to mistakenly disregard my family for too long or disregard my work for too long or my physical body for too long. And the key there that I found from this mistake is too long is it's okay to be off balance. Like you're never going to have perfect balance in your life. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Work-life balance is something we, in our book, we throw out that term. We call it work-life integration. Like we need to be one whole. And that's what tends to happen. And my Maria had had this thing one time we were talking and she said it, and I thought she said so beautifully is, you know, balance in life is not equality, right? It's not you're equal in every area. It's that you're giving the area the attention it deserves. Mm. So, and that's all, that's what's kind of stuck with us because look, I can't be a perfect husband hundred percent of the time. I'm going to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. But if I make up for that mistake on a weekly basis and adapt on a weekly basis versus 20 years go by, our kids go off to college and Maria and I are sitting here going, do we even like each other? Like, who is this person I'm sitting across from? And there's a lot of people that deal with that because they're not taking the attempts at the time. People don't become overweight in a day. It's a lot of really, a lot of small bad decisions over a long period of time causes you this end result that if we can just adjust it on a weekly basis, it's this, you know, trajectory, it's basic science, it's physics, yeah. <laughs> just with your life. Um, and again, we're talking with Mac Renatos. He is the author of Motivate the Unmotivated, The Proven System for Sustainable Motivation. Um, maybe, you know, kind of talking more about the book and, yeah. um, you know, are there mistakes that you've made or you see other people make in their attempts to motivate others in the workplace? Yeah. And the book is full of my mistakes. I mean, that's where, you know, we learn from experience. Mm-hmm. We teach from experience. So there's a lot in there. Um, you'll look at me and some of you will feel bad. Some of you will be laughing, but either way, the biggest mistake that I was making, and let's just talk about a more recent mistake that comes when it comes to motivating somebody. Uh, my daughter, Natalie, Natalie's three years old uh, and she has a very rare genetic disorder. Um, she's the 19th person to have this specific mutation. 
which leads her to what they're describing as muscular dystrophy because they don't have anything else to really put it towards. But she can't crawl, can't walk. Um, she really can't put pressure on anything, which is obviously makes life a little bit different. Um, and I'm an action person. I'm a doer. So all I want to do is get her into physical therapy, right? If she can't move her muscles, let's get her working her muscles. And we were forced in order to go through the state for some services to do a cognitive skill test. And I said, she doesn't need cognitive. Why are we wasting our time? She's good mentally. She has an issue physically. What we found was she was less than half her age physically, almost twice her age mentally. Hmm. So the mistake that I was about to make would have destroyed her competitive edge for the rest of her life. And what happens is we try to fix problems in people. Our philosophy, which you'll hear in the book, is to manage your weaknesses and leverage your strengths. So with Natalie, the way I'm teaching my daughter who can't physically walk how to walk is by using her cognitive ability to take her left hand, press it down on the floor, straighten her left elbow, and pull herself up. And she can mentally get her body to do it. She just can't put the weight on it, which the only way to build muscle is to use them. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest mistake as far as that I almost made that fortunately, I actually went back and reread my book when I heard about what's going on with Natalie which is actually pretty ironic, right? I wrote it, but still there's times where you have to keep refreshing yourself. And that would have been the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake I see others make is they use fear-based motivation versus love-based motivation. Right. And that's the part in the book that we talk about where fear is used is by using force and love is using understanding. Now, do me a favor. If you're hearing it going, you know, I can't deal with the love stuff. This is not like the gushy love stuff. This is real love stuff. And if you have kids, you know, there's very little gushy love stuff about it. It's, it's pretty intense. But people think that fear-based motivation is more effective and takes less energy. Now, look, if I put a gun to somebody's head, I can make them do things quickly. But the second I remove that force, that fear, they're going to run the other way. And we've seen it happen throughout history, right? You have dictators who come into countries, done some terrible things. When they're removed from power, the country changes, you have other people, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, who have come in and when they were removed from power or passed away, all of a sudden their message got stronger. And why is it? It's because love-based motivation is based on understanding and making sure that you understand what is it the individual wants and then how do we get it. Yeah. So the second mistake that we find uh, when it comes to motivating people is we try to give them what we want. So for example, I want more money, so therefore I'm going to give Mark more money. Well, Mark might not want more money, mm. but there is something Mark wants to do with that money. So we dive deeper when people start asking for compensation and money and all this stuff. Say, what does he want to do with the money? Well, I, I love running marathons. Perfect. Then, you know, what? we're going to start buying you shoes for you doing your hitting your goals at work. And we start mar getting more value for the reward we're giving than just a flat dollar to dollar transaction. Nowadays, the biggest competitor right now for hourly employees is the government. Mm -hmm. They're making an extra $600 every single week. And if all you're doing is a paycheck to them, you mm -hmm. cannot compete with free money. It's impossible. So instead, we compete with value, yeah. right? There's two ways you can compete in business. We do the same thing with our customer, with our, with our employees. So every time our clients who we bought that new pair of shoe this quarter, because they hit their goal that cost the company maybe 150 bucks. And those are some pretty nice running shoes. Every time that person straps up their shoes, they're thinking about the company. They're thinking in their head for that 10, 15 mile run because they're a pretty avid runner about the company that bought them that shoe. 
So that $150 would have been literally forgotten or spent on an expensive dinner or for the next 90 days is a constant reminder of the goals they're supposed to be hitting. Yeah. So that comes down to this term we use, we call PVTT. It's personal value tied to task. Hmm. If we can find what that personal value is that we can tie it to that task, the individual will be self-sustaining and motivation will be something that will happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, those, I mean, those are all great examples. And earlier you used the word uh, assume. Yeah. I think it's interest, interesting to reflect on mistakes that I've made where there was uh, some bad assumption being made. Yeah. <laughs> an assumption, like you were saying, like an assumption that, um, if, if I heard you correctly, an assumption that a cognitive assessment for your daughter was looking for problems instead of looking for um, strengths that she right. Or assuming that the same thing that motivates Matt also motivates me. Um, And, and, or assuming in a relationship, assuming what customers want um, from uh, in terms of our products or our services. So um, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thing to think about. Like what assumptions are we making and what, what mistakes does that lead to? How can we get better about checking our assumptions or at least being more careful with them? Right. And the thing I always have people do is say, look, if you don't, if you haven't heard the answer, you don't necessarily know the answer. Like that's a great way to check yourself. If you're assuming like, well, I think they want this. Well, have you asked? Well, no. Well, then you you might not know. Like it's a very simple understanding. So our system that we do, it's called motivation management, where we come into companies and we find those answers and we find them in a very quick way, asking three specific questions that allows individuals to express the answers without going too deep, getting a little too out of control, right? Because sometimes, you know, you're doing these meetings and all of a sudden you become a therapist and that's not the goal of this, but finding out what they want and what they truly want. One of the mistakes people who are trying to be motivated, we call them the motivate T makes, is they don't know what they want. Mm-hmm. They think they want money because that's what they've always been told. If you get money, you're going to be happy. They might so therefore... Exactly. Right. So, so we need to not only ask, but we also need to coach them to come to the right decision, not coast them. Right. We don't want to like try to get them to like come to a decision, but we need to coach them to discover it themselves. And if we let them discover what motivates them, and then we let them discover what they're willing to do to achieve that, we give them that package and say, here's what you said you could do. Here's what you said you wanted. If you did that, do you see any reason why you couldn't achieve this? And they go, I could do this. And they go off to the horses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really, really great points, Matt. And uh, again, congratulations on the launch uh, of the book and the success that you're having with that. Um, again, our guest has been Matt Granados, um, author of the book available now, Motivate the Unmotivated, The Proven System for Sustainable Motivation. Uh, people can find the book through Amazon. They can also order it directly th- through you if you can tell people where, what, what you recommend if they want to check out. Yes. So first off, if you guys are interested, um, Mark, obviously you go to our website, lifepulseinc.com and you can get every, all of the stuff that we offer. Um, the one thing I like to offer Mark, whenever I talk with somebody who I actually enjoy, and I know that we agree philosophy wise, which I appreciate what you do, um, is offer uh, a gift to the listeners. So if you were to go to lifepulseinc.com backslash pod gift, P O D G I F T. Um, I'm going to have to get a little bit creative and think of what we're going to offer. But I like to package some of these big corporate offerings into kind of do-it-yourself type programs that individual listeners can go. So just if you go to the website, make sure you put what podcast you heard it from Mm -hmm. just so we can make sure that that, um, 
we're tracking who's, who's getting what and what information you need. But that would be the best way to get a hold of us and actually get access to the book. And the book comes with that as well. But we'd love to help out anyone who's interested with any of the stuff we have. And, and Mark, I appreciate what you're doing and, and bringing to light that, look, all of us have mistakes. Like our, 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 our podcast that my wife and I do, we call it Relationship, where we literally come together and we solve our current issue for that week without editing the podcast. It's not easy all the time and it gets pretty, uh, pretty aggressive back and forth. But what I I find is when you actually are able to uncover your mistake, you're able to do what I call is find the growth and you see the growth opportunity. You can now actually see that mistake as a blessing versus a curse. And how do you grow through it based on what you learn? So I appreciate what you're doing here unraveling that for people because I think everyone needs that on a more regular basis. No, well, th- thanks, Matt. Um, I'll, I'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes and in the, awesome. the YouTube you. description. Uh, we'll we'll point people to your podcast um, as awesome. well. And I mean, I appreciate your openness to share, um, you know, about mistakes. Like you said, we we all make mistakes, and I think the key is, you know, hopefully not repeating the same mistakes, <laughs> learning from them. I think that makes all the difference, right? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Uh, we've been joined today by. Matt Granados, uh, co-founder and president of Life Pulse Inc., and author of the book Motivate the Unmotivated, The Proven System for Sustainable Motivation. Matt, hey, thanks again for being here. I, I hope you don't feel like it was a mistake <laughs> to come on the podcast. <laughs> no, not yet. But again, I won't find that out till later, right? You have to learn from it first. So, But I appreciate it. It was a great time. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.